the point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy. Who is good? Hashtag glue guy. Hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holik to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Rangers fans, welcome to Liberty Blue, the best Rangers podcast in town. I'm Andrew Chelney alongside Nick Zararis. We scream about the Rangers so that you don't have to. This is episode 75, live on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, and we are we are available wherever you get your podcasts as well. Nick, they looked okay against Arizona. They looked like they looked like trash against Nashville, and they look good against Seattle. A two-in-one week, just what we asked for. Yeah, that it sounds very simple. It sounds very straightforward. It sounds kind of reductionist to say if you win two out of every three games, you're going to have a good season. But if you win two out of every three games, you're going to have a pretty good season. And that's generally our goal. When we go into a week and they have three games in a week, we'd like to leave that week with a minimum of three, but we would like four. If we leave a week with 50% of the available points, we're doing our job. If we do anything more than that, that's gravy. As long as we are hovering around that 50% of available points, once we get closer into the season, we get a better understanding what the team's going to be, then we can start to raise our expectations. But they're not setting themselves up for a steep uphill, kind of the way they were last year. I mean, granted, it's early. We're only a handful of games in. And that slide didn't really start last year until I want to say it was the first week of November when they lost seven in a row, culminating in the game against the Blackhawks. But at the very least there is there's workable stuff here that you see the potential and that's exciting that's tantalizing this is the polar opposite of last year where we just kept waiting for them to show glimmers of anything more than just being what they were whereas right now it feels like they're still kind of working through things but they're looking pretty good while they're working through those things it's it'd be one thing if we go back to last year and we look at this team and we go okay at five on five it, it's it's a mess to watch them. But on the power play, they're dynamo. This team feels like they're really good at both, at least early on. Now, again, it's only been a handful of games, so we can, you know, we can only gleam out of what we can so far. But through these few games, not only have they looked good on special teams, their penalty kills look good also, to mention. Special teams have looked solid. And also, they've been... I don't want to say dominating, but they've been controlling play for the most part at five on five. Couple of issues. I mean, the Nashville game was just a big issue. Columbus, that was a stinker. It Colum- happens. They, had, stinker. they had one bad period against Columbus and that culminated in a loss. But for the most part, overall, they have controlled play at five on five, which is something that I never thought I would say about the Rangers again. We're back, baby. We're back. Oh my God. Let's celebrate. The Rangers are actually not terrible at five on five at least through the early parts of this season. They've looked good. 
the the Nashville game was a stinker. Yeah, they just uh, I, I don't know what was going on, but they just they 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 blew a tire and Nashville kind of went in, stole two. I mean, not st- uh, they they took they took two points running away, and that was kind of it. But then they bounced back. Also, I've been very critical of Jonathan Quick up to this point. He played well against Seattle. There's Definitely. no doubt about it. He had some big saves and give. I'm gonna give credit where credit is due. He had a good game. So overall, like we talked about, two and one, two and one week. Could be worse. Oh, that's two in one weeks. They pay the bills. Everybody, everybody feels good about themselves. Everybody gets their counting stats. Everybody gets paid. Two in ones in the NHL are good weeks. Once the season, and but real quick, every year this happens. I'm so tired of the NHL season being so incongruent with the way the games are laid out and why the schedule is so so poorly spaced out. It should not be like four game, four days apart in this first two months of games. And then we're in March where it's every other day for a month straight. It is just it feels like the pacing is kind of set up to work against these guys. We were talking about quick. We were talking about Blake Wheeler on last week's episode in respect to just needing game reps to get up to speed to see if they have anything left. It, it's hard to do that when you only play three times a week. You're, you're, it's going to be hard to convince Shesterkin, well, hey, we want to get quick some work. When Shesterkin himself would tell you, hey, I need to get a little bit better. I need to work more. And we can't do that because the games are just too far spaced out right now. You take a look at the schedule, not just for the Rangers, but the entire league this past week yeah. was such a strange way to lay out these games. There was a lot of like back and forth of one game and then all of the games. Yeah. And then there were two games, and then there were 10 games. Like, even even last night, there were two games, which is a Sunday. That makes sense. Today, there's one game. It's Monday. There's and one game. Tomorrow. Okay, but tomorrow, every, every team in the league plays. It's Tuesday. At least do it on Saturday. Saturday, has got nine games. Like, there's two games yesterday. I'm looking at it right now. One game today for some reason. Everybody plays tomorrow. One game on on Wednesday. 11 on Thursday. Six on Friday. And nine on Saturday. What's happening? Can we figure this out? What's going on? See, this is something I've always been fascinated in because I've read a lot about this. This has been written about a lot is what day of the week has yet to really be tapped into for sports rights on television? Because we know during the NFL season, the NFL will reign supreme over any other sport. That That's without a shadow of a doubt. No question about that. During college football season, other sports are going to struggle to do a good number on a Saturday. That's part of why America, there hasn't been a push to do a Congress, not a congruent, a similar thing to Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights here in the States because college football occupies the first three, four months of hockey season. And whatever's going to be in that time slot against the primetime college football game on ABC is going to get murdered in the numbers. Well, the NHL has tried to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as their big days where we have TNT, ESPN national games during those. The problem with those is when they're on ESPN, they're opposite against the NBA on TNT, which does the best number of anyone during the week. And then on Wednesday, when they're on TNT, they're against the ESPN national NBA game. It is really hard for the NHL to find a day of the week to kind of make their own. In the second half of the season, especially in the spring, they do a better job of this because there's less competition and they are able to get better time slots. I know the Rangers had a couple of those noon, one o'clock national Sunday games last year. That's probably your best bet as far as making the schedule work is 
riding it out until football's over in, you know, mid February. And then when it's only basketball with you, then you can kind of carve out a spot, but it's hard right now. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like there's baseball on right now as we're recording this, there's football on in about 20 minutes as we're recording this. It's really hard for the NHL. I understand like tomorrow. I understand why they're doing 15 games on six, excuse me, 16 games on a Tuesday. Yeah, at the same time, I wish they would lean into Fridays more. I really wish. I I I wish that they because, like, here's the thing: there's no football, right? Like, your biggest competition throughout the season would be the NBA on Fridays. But if you go to a like, if you're the whole point is you stack Friday with the with the thought process of if people are going to social events. There's going to be at least a few TVs playing sports. One of them is going to be basketball. Well, what do you put on TV too? Do you put on Hornets Pistons or do you put on a, a marquee NHL game that they put on 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 TNT or or ESPN? Like, I wish they would lead into Friday because you don't have to compete with the NFL. Like. Th- your only other competition is the NBA. There's not going to be baseball for much longer here. So I, I just, I need to see more of that from the schedule. And, and again, making a schedule, by the way, is not really easy. hard. It is really hard. Because you not only do you have to make a schedule that pleases the, sh- the, the broadcast shareholders, you got to make a schedule that pleases all 32 teams in the league and all the, the other logistics that goes into that. And no one's ever happy with the schedule. There's always like 19 or 26 teams that are always yelling and complaining to the NHL about how their schedule is so bad. And then the next year, okay, well, like these teams complained, so we got to make their schedule a little bit easier. But then you make the other team's schedule a little harder. And then the, it, the, the, cycle, the cycle continues. It is really difficult to make a schedule that everybody's on board with. With that being said, can we stop with these 16, one, two, 14, three days? Can we just have a more of an even number for the, for, for game days? Cause this is like, this is insane. I just want to watch hockey, man. Gary, Bettman. I, I want to watch, watch hockey. Like, yeah, that's all I'm here for. I turned on sharks, hurricanes the other day. Just watch because I needed hockey on. You might have a problem if you're willing yeah, to watch well, the Sharks I, play hockey. Yeah, well, you know, I, this was this was game three of theirs, by the way, when I watched it in San Jose. There was like six thousand people in the arena. It was not it was not looking good. Now, the Sharks are terrible. That's I'm not breaking any news here. It's that's a really bad look, by the way, for San Jose. I just want to point that out. And they don't have anything to like even be excited about. They have like one young guy who no. doesn't have a ton of runway. They have a coach who's an arrogant person who's never accomplished anything, which is my personal favorite thing are the arrogant people who haven't won anything. Like, congratulations, you won a national championship as an assistant coach for somebody who had the job for 40 years, and then you lost a national title with the best player in college hockey. Congratulations, David. I know you have a chip on your shoulder because you played 12 games in the NHL 40 years ago and didn't get to play because of something out of your control. Just talk to reporters like they're people. I promise you'll get more, you'll get better results and you'll get better treatment. It's the same thing with Gallant last year where he he acted like there was this grand conspiracy against him to get him fired from his job when they were asking him about his job security. Well, no, Gerard, the reason we're asking you about your job security is usually the general manager will say, well, no, we're going to keep our coach when the season's over. And the GM didn't do that, which leads us to ask, have you been told anything about your job security? 
But I digress. Back to the Rangers. Yes. This is fun. They are genuinely entertaining to watch. It is not, I am sitting on my hands for 45 minutes praying that we get the three power, four power plays we are going to need to win the game. Right now, and it sounds crazy to say this, right now the thing that's played the worst on the team so far is the goaltending, which is a good yeah. sign because that's nothing to worry about. When, you're, when your goalie, who's historically been a 9-15, 9-20 goalie, is the weakest link of your team, that's a good thing because that's going to come back the other way. Of course, they're not going to be this good at 5 They're not going to be the second, third best 5-on-5 five five team in the entire league the whole year. That's not going to happen. But if they finish 7th, 8th, and they've got one of the three best goalies in the league, that's great. That is where you want to be. I don't expect them to keep playing this well at 5-on-5. There will be some regression back to some bad habits, get back to closer what they've been in the past. But if they can flirt with that 7th, 8th spot at 5-on-5, they can be 5th or 6th in the power play around 10th in the kill, and Shesterkin can be one of the five best goalies in the league, that's your recipe. It does not have to be, hold on for dear life, let's ride our magic goalie as far as he can carry us. Let's make our goalie's life easier. And you you had sent me that screenshot the other day about the Rangers defensively uh, not conceding as as many chances against. And it's because they're playing more offense. This is exactly what we talked about in our preseason preview about the defense. It's not that the defense, like, talent-wise was bad last year, aside from Ben Harper. It's that they played defense too much. In fact, I want to dive into the NHL edge stats that got released today, and I want to look more into the Rangers team from last year. Because anecdotally, it felt like any time Ben Harper and Schneider were on the ice last year, they were in the defensive zone the entire time of their shift. They did not get offensive zone stuff shifts unless they started there in which case you're kind of wasting an offensive zone start putting guys who don't have puck skills in the offensive zone right now everything feels solid we're on steady ground our weakest links are our ninth forward maybe our sixth defenseman and our goalie who's kind of playing himself into form because it's hard to get in the form to play goalie in not super competitive games that's good. That's a lot less than we've had to worry about with the Rangers the last couple of years. We talked about it two weeks ago when we did the forwards preview. There's no dead weight. There is not a Ryan Reeves. There's not a there's not a Jake decision. There's not just a guy who's out there. All 12 of those forwards are NHL caliber players. And you have a 13th in Jimmy Vesey just if you need him. This is as solid they as they've come out of the gate. In quite a while, just flat out in terms of the talent and the way they've played. This is as solid as it's been in quite a while. Yeah, I mean, the and the thing about Shesterkin is that I would much rather have him be playing poorly now. Exactly. Then come May or June. Like, that's exactly. just it is what it is. I would much rather Shesterkin kind of, I don't want to say fail, but kind of struggle game four than game, you know, whatever in like down, like come right playoff now. time that's fine let him yeah. let him struggle let let him let everybody kind of get back into form here and kind of figure things out uh the most the the best thing here that we and we we were hammering this before the season started and and happy that we're seeing success at least earlier on in the season is that this team actually looks good they're fun to watch and this is a team that you're not holding your breath waiting for something bad to happen because in previous seasons what would happen is if they got a power play it's this game is saved they're going to score all good but if they didn't get a power play 
it, the game is over, the Rangers are going to lose. Now, we don't, at least I don't have that feeling off the rip of, oh, they're not going to, if they don't get a power play, it's Jover. Like, they are a good team at five on five, at least, for, again, we're, we're, we're saying all this with these with the stipulation that it's October 23rd and that there's not a we haven't been playing for half the season or anything like that. So we, there's still a lot of games to be played, there's still a lot of hockey to be hockey left on the table. But like as of right now there's I'm 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 pleased. I'm very pleased of I'm very happy to see like how the Rangers are playing because it's not only that they're you know scoring and like Panarin's playing really well and that's massive. Somehow Peter Laviolette has figured out how to make Panarin shoot the puck, which is just I don't know how that happened. I don't know what Peter Laviolette said to Panarin to make this happen, but we've been screaming about screaming about it for years, and Panarin has finally decided to use his incredible shot and and actually use it for once and shoot the puck. And now he's scoring at will. What a surprise. Panarin's playing really well. That that second line of Hito, Lafreniere, and, and Panarin, dynamite. Dynamite off the ripper. They're playing so well. And hopefully, if it doesn't work for a game, that Peter Laviolette won't just go into a blender like Jargalot liked to do. That's one of the things I found encouraging. As we both said, they did not play well against Nashville last week. They were actively bad in the Nashville game last week. And it would have been well within Laviolette's norms to a coach's bounds to say, this wasn't good. Let's change things. Let's reconfigure our lines. Let's see if we can find anything new because we know this kind of works. Instead, he stuck with what worked and that felt encouraging. That was a nod, a pat on the back, whatever you want to call it to his guy saying, I know that's not who we are. Yeah, we laid an egg against Nashville, but that's not who we are. We're better than that, and we know that. I trust you guys. Go out there and take care of business, and they did it. They played a really good game against Seattle. Lighting really, issues aside. That, that was funny. Uh, that's the type of thing that that reminds me of a couple of years ago when the fire alarm went off there in the Spurs game. That's the only thing that kind of reminds <laughs> me similar to that, and they just kept playing through the fire alarm because the NBA was like, we're not stopping the game from this. Someone just pulled the fire alarm. That's the only thing I can think comparable. And I, I, I do like that they came to like the rec league agreement of we're just both going to play in the shitty end more frequently as opposed to we're going to wait till we can figure out how the lights work. Like at there a roller rink. discussions about moving the game to Sunday. Yeah, I did see that. Like, I did see that. Okay, it it it'd be it would be one thing if like half of the ice was was pitch black. It's like, I, again, it's not ideal, but if you're gonna postpone a game, I feel like there has to be more issues than one corner of the ice being a little bit darker. Uh, postponing seemed a little bit aggressive. I'm glad they didn't do that. I agree with you in that respect. Um, on Panarin, and a lot of people have talked about this. I've been really hammering the drum on this. They finally gave him somebody who is capable of playing the game at a dynamic level. And that's not to say Heedle is as dynamic as Panarin, as good as Panarin, whatever. They finally gave Panarin someone riding shotgun with him that's capable of playing at that level. That is dynamic, that can make things happen with both their puck skills and their skating. That's something that's jumped out to me the last few weeks is that Panarin doesn't have to be the one-man zone entry anymore because Heedle is just as good at creating offense 
off of the rush, giving Panarin somebody who is capable of skating with him, of seeing the game the same way. And they've unlocked a little bit. I don't want to say they've unlocked something that hasn't been there before, but they've got Lafreniere consistently forechecking again, which it's been a while since he's played like this, where he's been a, a real menace as the first forward into the zone when they don't have control of the puck. And he wins the puck down low. Heedle's a good distributor. Panarin's a good distributor. And that's making Lafreniere's play more dynamic because he's able to do things because he's not drawing the main center of attention. And it's making all three of them better, frankly, in my opinion is that all three of them are capable of scoring, which is going to open up looks because the defense is going to have to respect the ability, fact that all three of those guys can both create and score. Whatever they told Panarin, as you said, whatever they said to incentivize him to shoot, I don't know whether it's just he has more room so he feels more confident. I don't know if he took the playoffs responsibly. Word to Michael Jordan, like the leaning back in the seat, and I took that personally. Like I don't know what it was that clicked for Panarin, but we've talked about this. He scored 30 goals his first year. He was a Ranger. He should have won the heart his first year. He was a Ranger. And then the last two, he was in the low 20s for goals. He just didn't shoot as much for whatever reason. Now, playing with players who are more dynamic and better playmakers, he is being encouraged to say, okay, I can do this. And those guys got me too. And it's making the team better. They had been the team's best line. All due respect to Zabinijad Kreider and Lafreniere, excuse me, Zabinijad Kreider Kako. That's been the best line, and it's not particularly close to me, and it's been so good, we don't really have to worry about the fact that the fourth line is not giving you anything on offense. And that's not to say the fourth line needs to give you something, but the occasional goal every now and then is what you need from a good fourth line. But the second line's been so good, I, it's not you can't really complain right now. You feel like an ass if you're complaining. And the thing about that fourth line, too, is, and we'll see if Nick Benito plays tomorrow because he's, he's sick right now, but Benino has been one a great faceoff taker, sure, but also a great penalty killer. Like yeah. the thing about the fourth line is that it's it's one thing if you don't score, but you have to not let the other team score. The best case scenario for for both sides is that nothing happens when your fourth line is out there. Obviously, in an ideal world, every time the fourth line is on, they score a goal, and and, and you know and magic fairies come down from the sky and grant you all your wishes. Like that's, that's a pipe dream. That's not going to happen. But the best, the best case scenario usually is that nothing bad happens against your team when your fourth line is out on the ice. And for the most, I mean, for virtually all of their time on the ice, they're, they've been more than fine. They've been fine. Like, yeah. Would I like Nick Bonito to have scored six goals by now? I mean, yeah, I guess, but overall, he's done exactly what he's been what he's been tasked to do. He's really good at blocking shots. He's really good at winning faceoffs. He's really good at limiting chances from the other team, or at least good chances. If you want to take shots from the point or shots from bad angles that are easily stopped by the goalie, go ahead. You do that all day long. But Nick Bonino is a specialist at defense. He's really good at what, at what he does. He's not going to score you 20, 20 goals. I mean, he he came close in, in Pittsburgh, but you know when you play with Crosby and Malkin, things are a little bit easier. But like this team is is built really well comparatively to what we had even last year. Again, with Ryan Carpenter and, and Ryan Reeves and these guys, it's like they're just not players that can do anything at the NHL level. Right now, the fourth line is 
three is three guys that not only can hold their own in the NHL, they're stifling the the offense from the other team whenever they're playing. And you know, if Jimmy Vesey is playing, he's got a little bit of, of an offensive kick to him. Maybe Nick Bonito can contribute here and there. Like this is not just a, a fourth line that can that can defend. They can chip in. They haven't done that yet, but I I wouldn't be surprised if they do it sooner rather than later. This is just a deep team. Like this that this is a, a well built team and Laviolette right now looks like he's pushing a lot of the right buttons. And that was what we said coming into the season was it was going to be on the talent to take advantage of this opportunity because if any other situation, there wouldn't be this many no trade clauses and the general manager would have like raised some hell in the off season more than likely. But being that the Rangers gave all these guys, no trade clauses when they acquired them or gave them their extensions, it, that wasn't a, a feasible solution to how the season ended last year because Drury would have been well within his bounds to trade any of the any of the expensive players to kind of shake up the roster based on how last year went. And instead, he doubled down and said, I think the right team is here. I just need to find the person who can kind of prod them into playing the way they're capable of because that's always been the thing. The Rangers of the last two years under Gallant have been capable of playing at extremely high levels. They have played really good games against really good teams, but it's a matter of that consistency. And of course it's easy to say they've been consistent when they've only played this few amount of games. The Nashville game sticks out as you know, the extreme outlier of they came out flat and just didn't look right from the get go and never recovered. That was once a week with Gallant last year. I know they won like 44 games last year, but they, they had 107 standings points, if I remember correctly, something like that. And once a week, they would come out and just look like they didn't want to play hockey in the first period. They'd rally back in the second, and they'd be chasing that third goal, and then the game-winning goal in the third, and everybody, ESPN or TNT, would flash the Rangers' most third-period comebacks in the NHL stat. It's a lot easier to win games when you don't have to play from behind. 56 minutes of the game. The game state being in your favor sets things up for you where you can wear teams down, force them into mistakes like we've seen them do against some of these teams. Like they did, they did it really well against Buffalo where once they got that lead, Buffalo kept skating into the neutral zone. The Rangers would step up, dispossess, go the other way. They did a solid job of this against Seattle where it's not there. Send it in. Go get it. Four check cycle. Let's work on offense. Maintaining that consistency is going to be my benchmark. We talked about it two weeks ago in the season preview episode. We said if they are able to be consistent with their effort, their approach, the the non the non strategy, the non skill things, this team is going to have a pretty high ceiling because the talent is there. It's just a matter of getting it to play right. This is a team with two guys who had ninety points last year. Kreider, we know, can be a 40, 50 goal guy. Lafreniere and Kako have yet to really scratch their surface. Trocek can be a 55 to 60 point guy. And they're probably going to still add one more forward to this group. Like realistically, this is pretty solid in terms of the paper. It's a matter of do these guys believe what the coach is telling them, if the coach is telling them anything at all, which again, we're still not sure Gerard Gallant ever actually said anything (laughs) at any point during his time as Rangers head coach, because that's the most common thing I see under all of the, whenever I see a Jay Fresh or a Dom LeCision or Travis Yost or an athletic or a money puck is 
what did Gallant do or arrest Gallant? Because it's true. This team is capable of playing at a high level. And it just, it happened once a week last year where they would come out and play like shit against a bad team. They would will their way to talent their way to a close game and then rely on their clo- their star players to win them games. Now you got everybody rowing in the same direction for the most part. You don't have anybody who's trying to make plays too many plays outside of structure and you're falling back on your structure, which is really encouraging to see so far, especially defensively that these guys for the most part, aside from Braden Schneider, which it's only been a handful of games. He's really uncomfortable in the system. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more as the season develops, but for the most part, I get the puck. I know where it needs to go. It's really nice. One of the things too is all of those third period comebacks and playing from behinds and all of that, that drains you as the season goes on. It's sure. so much easier on your body as a player when you know when when you aren't actively always pushing at a hundred and ten percent looking for that third period goal. When you are ahead and all you have to do is either protect the lead or if maybe if you're lucky enough to be up a couple, right? Like you're, you're not expending yourself at maximum, maximum, maximum. We have to score. We have to do these things. Like you save just a little bit for the next game. And then all of that adds up at the end when you get to the playoffs and you played 82 games and now you got to play a bunch more just for the chance of winning a Stanley Cup. Like, Every little bit matters. And when you have a team that is always chasing, you're going to be exhausted. Come April, come May, you are going to be dead in the water. And right now, the Rangers are playing like a team that wants to score first, wants to score often, and don't want to be chasing the game every single game, which is exactly as I was play. That's the right way to play. Why would you rather be chasing the game come the third period? Or... This is a this is a, a brand new idea, never before discussed in the history of, of hockey, Nick. You should score first, score more than the other team, and then have the lead going into the third period so that you're not scrambling to tie the game. This is I, I'm listen, I'm br- I'm breaking barriers here, Nick. I don't know if this has ever been been mentioned in, in the sport ever, but as as an idea, I quite like the concept. You are always going and the, that's been such an issue for the, the Rangers the last couple of years is we always talk about it in the context of what is the team's identity? What are they good at? What do they want their What does their ideal game look like? And for the last couple of years, it was we turtle. We let the, the other team take shots from the outside. We try and recover the puck as fast as we can. We spring our forwards off the rush and we go from there. They're still creating decent chances off the rush, especially that Hedl and Panarin duo have been really effective in transition at creating offense quickly, especially when they've been able to step up in the neutral zone and have a short distance to cover. But now the defensemen aren't treating the pucks like hand grenades. They are skating the puck out of their own ends with a little more confidence. They have crisper passes. They have forwards who are making themselves open in the neutral zone to receive said passes. And it just looks a lot more fluid. I can't tell you how many times, if you go back and listen to episodes of the show from last season, where we have one title, do the Rangers practice from middle of January last year, because they didn't look like a team that knew what they were doing, that it would take them a period to figure out how they wanted to play that game. And by that point, you were probably down two or three goals and you had to find a way off the mat. 
Your talent can get you so far. It's the cliche everyone who plays Little League or any youth sport gets told. Practice how you want to play. Play how you practice. The Rangers very clearly did not practice the last couple of years, and they did not play. They played like a team that did not practice. Now they look like a team that has a coherent identity, that believes what the coach is selling, and genuinely is playing good hockey. I, the Rangers have been good at spurts of hockey. They've been good at the, the power play. They've been good at the penalty kill. The goaltending has been all world. But other than, you know, a handful of games here and there, the five-on-five five play hasn't been this good in a long time. In I will go and look at some point during the week before next week's episode and try and find other, you know, 10-ish game samples that are comparable. Because, like, in theory, you would think Kreider Zabinijad Buchnevich played as well as that line is playing right now at some point. You would think that maybe, like, Rick Nash, Stepan, and Kreider did at some point in 2014, something like that. But this is the best the Rangers have looked this early in the season in quite a while. They're... And they're still figuring things out, which is what's exciting about it. Because you feel like if they're still figuring things out and they're already playing this well, what's it going to look like in February when they add one more forward, maybe another defenseman to this group that's already kind of clicking? That's what's really exciting to me. I highlighted this on Twitter uh, yesterday when she posted about Molly Walker posted her spread after the Rangers beat the, the Kraken. And she highlighted that, you know, had the second line with uh, Panarin, Hedl, and Lafreniere have been this incredible trio. And then she says the words which I quote tweeted and said this speaks volume because it does. She said, to think this is their first extended time playing on a line together, despite all three skating in the same lineup for three years now. I love Molly. She's she's re- she's really great. Not only is she great, she's not afraid to say things like that because it's true. It w- yeah. it would just be the worst possible thing if everybody was too afraid to say these things. Mainly, you know, simply because like they're afraid of losing cup the their their press pass. But like it's it's objectively true. Of yo Gerard, should do it. Should do it with these lines. You have these guys that are if that are so talented and can do great things for you. But instead, you're going to play Barkley Goudreau in the top six minutes and say, well, I tried. I did everything I possibly could. Thankfully, Molly highlighted the, the I don't want to say the elephant in the room because like everybody besides Jargalant knew that what he was doing wasn't exactly the best thing on the planet. But, you know, Peter Laviolette has figured out that, hey, what Jargalant was doing wasn't the best thing on the planet. Oh my God, look at that. And now he fixed it and it's working. Just genius. So two things on that. Number one, I had somebody reply, well, why are you acting like Heedle's never really played extended with Panarin before? And I went and looked. At five on five, over the last two years, so not this year, the two years Gerard Gallant was the coach, Heedle and Panarin played a total of 218 minutes together at five on five over two seasons. This year, in five games, they have already played 58 minutes together at five on five. We're a fourth of a way to the previous two seasons through five games of those two as a duo. And this was something else I went and looked because I was curious about it. And we, we talked about this a lot last season in respect to Lafreniere playing with Panarin on the off wing. 
in his career, when you look at Lafreniere with and without Panarin, there's a good 7-8% boost in all of the key possession stats. Chances, expected goals, high danger chances when he's with Panarin versus when he's away from Panarin. The Rangers' unwillingness to let them make mistakes, it just mind-blowingly stupid. It buried them. Because they're, they're so afraid of doing anything wrong that they never learned how to make the right play. They, they were never s- looked for that next level. That's yeah, the biggest exactly, thing we've been exactly. waiting for. They were, they, were, they were so afraid of doing anything above the expected from them that, like, that, they, ne- that they were slow to the curve to adjust to that. It'd be, again, you, good teams usually don't win their first overall pick in the NHL. The Rangers just happen to do that with Lafreniere, and they also won the lottery with Kako. Like, usually bad teams are like, Lafreniere, Kako, just play first-line minutes. I will fig- just go figure it out. Play 20 minutes. We'll give you a first-line power play, first-line penalty kill. I'll, I'll just gi- we'll give you all the ice time. You, you won't do well at in stretches, but just go out there and learn as much as you can. The Rangers were not afforded those opportunities slash David Quinn didn't give those opportunities to Lafreniere and Kako. So that makes it a lot harder when you're an up-and-coming player in the NHL that wants to figure out, hey, can I do this move at this time? Can I do, what if I, what if I make this decision instead? But they're so afraid of making a mistake and going back to the bench and being berated by their head coach that they just made the safe play or the play that, you know, that didn't inspire much from the rest of the team all in an effort to not make the head coach angry or upset or whatever. And that's just not, that's not the right way of doing it. In my opinion anyway. And we're, we're finally seeing under La Violette that guys are confident. They're, Hedl is making these incredible plays early on. He's got he's he's got so much confidence. It's been like six minutes with Laviolette, and Hedl is playing with so much confidence. Lafreniere is playing with so much confidence. Kako is playing with a lot more confidence. You have these younger guys on the team that aren't just being placed into a hole and say, "Hey, you stay there, you stay there, and you don't get out." They they can move around now, and you can see how how much better they are as a result. So off of that, number one, the biggest detriment to Heedle the last couple of years, especially during 2020, 2021, and some of 2022, was he couldn't stay healthy. He he would play really well when he was in the lineup, but he couldn't stay healthy for extended periods of time. And then he would come back and it would take him two weeks to ramp back up to being up to game speed. And he would by the time he did that. The, str- the season was over. There weren't a lot of games left. He wasn't able to really carve himself out an identity. And he's one of the longest tenured players in the entire organization. This, this is, is a seventh season. Here, this is season is number for seven for Filipino. Like he-, he was 17 when he made the roster yeah. out of camp because his birthday was like two days before the season started that year, the first year of David Quinn being the head coach. He made he made the roster out of camp as a 17-year-old. He's been here a long time. Uh, his agent probably shouldn't have taken that contract in retrospect, but that worked out well for the Rangers. It was about time the Rangers got excess value on one of these contracts as opposed to giving away the organization in respect to getting it. And you remember when uh, there were real Rangers fans on Twitter and beyond that wanted to trade Heedle for an Arby's coupon? Because Pepperidge Farm sure remembers. I'll tell you that. that 
there are still there is a very specific there are two I'm trying to think there are at least two people who work for major news publications in the major metropolitan area who spent the entirety of the 2021-2022 season saying because Filipino was a 37% face-off guy. He's not an NHL center. You got to move him to wing. You got to move him to wing if you ever want him to be successful. Both of those people know who they are. They have worn – Larry has worn his L. He has said I was wrong about Heedle. Vince will never say he was wrong, but I, I digress in that respect. Heedle looks confident, and that's the biggest thing. When these guys are buzzing, that is good. It sounds stupid and kind of – this is one of the reasons why you and I in particular, we hate when hockey people describe things as intangibles, things that only hockey people can see, because it's an explanation for the unexplainable. A lot of what we define as the unexplainable, the stuff that you can't quantify, you can't put a number on, that stuff is is confidence. That is the human element of the game. It's not always going to ring true that guys who are playing well are really confident and feeling good about themselves. It's a lot easier to have a good game when you're feeling confident and feeling good about yourself. That's what I'll say in respect to why they've looked so good so far, especially Hito Kako and Lafreniere, because all three of those guys, and I, I, we spent a lot of the summer with the discourse being they look so good in last year's playoffs. How come they were so ineffective against the Devils? The confidence just wasn't there. I mean, what was it, December of last year when they healthy bombed Lafreniere against the Lightning for no real reason? All you have to do is give guys opportunities. Don't harp on what they're not good at. Focus on what they are good at. Would you ask a fish to climb a tree, Andrew? No, you wouldn't. You would not ask a fish to climb a tree. I don't care that Lafreniere, Panarin, and Heedle are conceding a little bit defensively because they're outchancing the other team so significantly. The defense they are conceding isn't is negligible. It's not a it's not an issue because they're generating so much offense. I don't care that they're not a good defensive trio because they have the puck in the offensive zone seventy percent of the time they're on the ice. Your your defense can be as poor as it could possibly be, and there's players in the NHL that you can kind of highlight that do this kind of thing with players like Nikita Kucherov, for example, who cannot guard a lawn chair. But it, a lot of times, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he always has the puck in the offensive zone. So you don't even notice some a lot of times when he's on the ice that he is awful defensively because he doesn't have to play defense. The puck is on a string when he is on the ice, therefore... He never has to show his weaknesses. He could always be on the offensive, and therefore it kind of doesn't matter that he's bad at defense. Same thing here of like, yeah, this line when they're in the defensive end might not be, you know, Pasternak and uh, and and Bergeron and Krejci, but like they don't have to be because most of the most of the time they're trying to score in the in the other end of the ice. They're not usually defending right now. And that's that's really that's the goal of all, of all four lines really. Even if you're not as good defensively, it the the less you're in the defensive end, the less it actually matters. And on the off chance that you do give up a good you know, a good opportunity, oh, you actually have one of the best goalies on the planet to to be there to stop the puck. So Again, we are seeing a lot of improvement early on. I want to, you know, not get too ahead of myself here because it's not even November yet. Like, we, we still have so much to go. But the early part of the season, minus Nashville, that game looked terrible. Minus Nashville, for the most part, they've looked really good in all areas of the ice. And I'm hopeful that this continues. 
because uh, this this is actually a group that is inspiring hope in me, and uh, this is a weird feeling. I don't know. I don't know how to how to combat this. Stick me, you know. This is 9 p.m. on election night when the results are coming in on the East Coast, and then we have to do the entire rest of the country. That's what it is right now. The early returns are very promising, but we still got a lot of states and a lot of votes to count. One last thing before we get out of here. If Blake Wheeler is the biggest concern we have, we're in great shape. If the ninth forward is the biggest concern and the line is still getting good underlying numbers in spite of the fact he hasn't looked good, we really don't have anything to worry about that that that's really encouraging and maybe wheeler figures it out maybe he doesn't maybe they bring in Osman. maybe they bring in patrick kane maybe they trade for duclair or someone else at the deadline whatever if the ninth forward is the main talking point you have a good hockey team my favorite analysis of of hockey pundits is to be like hey this blake wheeler guy is is old and slow and can't move anymore you know who they should bring in is patrick kane because he's because he is definitely none of those things he's the million dollar man they gave him a new hip yeah sure surely he's 26 years old again and can and can move like he wants it in chicago right surely what i will say i will say in respect to that i will say I have stopped doubting modern medicine when it comes to athletes. I'm not saying Patrick Kane is going to be good wherever he lands or whoever he signs with. I'm saying I would not rule out the possibility that Patrick Kane is a solid to effective hockey player with a better hip because of the way medicine is now. Jack Eichel is a year and a half removed from neck replacement surgery and looks every bit as good as he was before that, if not better. Cam Akers tore his Achilles and then played in the Super Bowl five months later. I've stopped doubting modern medicine because modern medicine will make you look stupid if you doubt it. And it, it frankly, there's a lot of Ranger fans who, in hindsight, probably shouldn't have doubted modern medicine because maybe we'd have Jack Eichel right now. And we, I would like to have Jack Eichel because Jack Eichel's Jack Eichel would be the best player on this team. And the thought of Jack Eichel playing with Panarin is incredible. But don't yeah. don't well, entirely rule out the prospect of Patrick Kane being effective. Is what I'll I, say. I, I'm sure Detroit. I mean, Detroit looks like a wagon. Detroit, well, the Brinkett looks really good in Detroit for sure. But like the the one thing I will say, comparing Eichel to, to Kane, Eichel is how old is Patrick years Kane? younger. He's like thirty. Patrick Kane's thirty five. Yeah, it's it's one thing if you're Jack Eichel and you're still like you know you're not even twenty eight. Like you're still you know you still have room for improvement. That's how young you are in your in your development. That you were at the prime. Uh, you were at the peak of your career. You had this injury. You fixed it because of modern medicine and now you're back to that peak level form patrick kane is 35 years old i'm sure that the surgery helped him i would hope so because otherwise he wouldn't be you know planning or planning a return to the league he's still 35 years old that's not gonna hit the surgery to fix his hip is not going to magically make him the 27 year old phenom that took over chicago for a decade and a half that's just not how it's gonna go he could be a a fine skater he could be a decent you know secondary offensive option but his defense is not going to improve it's not like he got the new hip and all of a sudden he's going to be you know back checking that was never part of his game. That's never going to be part of his game. If he didn't have the puck on his stick last season as a Ranger, he was absolutely invisible, and he didn't do anything defensively or offensively, for that matter, to get himself open. He was just kind of there. I don't know if a new hip changes that for Patrick Kane. So at the end of the day, 
there there are better options going to be on the market for sure. There's going to be a lot of bad teams that are looking to to get rid of of players that at this stage of their careers are going to be better and can pr- provide more on both ends of the ice than Patrick Kane. Maybe a reunion with Duclair. Maybe somebody else down the road. We're still like four months away from the trade deadline, so there's a, there's so many names that we can't possibly guess until then. But if you're Chris Drury, like I. Uh, Surely there's somebody out there that you can acquire that won't break the bank that could help your team on both ends of the ice more than Patrick Kane. It's a shame Zuccarello signed that extension with Minnesota. That would have been fun. That would have been great. I would have loved that. And we could have actually had like the guy who was putting they were showing the pictures of in the old Rangers jersey, yeah. unlike Jonathan Quick, who uh, John. I understand they had to find something to kind of sell Jonathan Quick on the to Ranger to the casual Ranger fan because he was terrible last year and because he was on the Kings team that beat them in the Cup final. But finding pictures of him from like when George Bush was president or like Bill Clinton was president wearing a Rangers jersey, that wasn't the way to do it. That was not the way to sell him. So like in theory, just being like, oh, all these pictures of Matt Zuccarello with Henrik Lundqvist and Carl Hagelin, and Derek Broussard and Mika Zibanejad and Kevin Hayes and all these guys he was really good friends with all those years ago. That would have been a lot more fun. But hey, I agree. Decla- Declare would be fun. There's a lot. It's early. We still don't know yeah. who's out of the mix yet. That's the other San thing. San Jose. We, 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 could, we could pencil that in. Already, hey, we could get the Staten Island guy. You want LeBanc? Ah, uh, I mean, the, the, well, they were going to waive him, and fr- yeah. according to fr- according to our friend Sa- Frank Saravalli, they were going to waive him. And then San Jose was like, "I don't." He was like, "No." <laughs> they're like, they're like, this did not, this never happened. This was never going to happen. I don't know where Frank got the, got his info wrong, but he is not correct. Uh, so that's funny. But I mean, hey, if the, if he went through waivers, there are worse options. Yeah. Hey, like we said before, these are good issues to have. These are first world hockey problems. It is not, we have a third pair defenseman who is an AHLer who's going to play 35 games. It is not, we have a guy whose last name is a, somebody falling asleep on a keyboard playing 15 games on our team. They are in really solid shape from a roster construction perspective. The coach is getting good results out of them. It is early. The returns are promising. It is exciting right now is the word I'll use to describe it. They look good and they should continue to look good. This is a, this is not just a team that wins. This is a team that's fun to watch. They're a team that, that plays well, that they, they have fun when they're playing and hopefully they continue to play this way. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Liberty Blue podcast. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts over on YouTube as well to the new subscribers. Hello. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, This is a good season to get on the bandwagon. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. We'll see you guys next week. Until then, stay safe, drink water, all that good stuff. Later.